Once again, dear friends, having received the precious body and blood of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, go with his peace, powered by the Holy Spirit, to serve Jesus with great joy. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know if you know the little-known fact, that story that Matt read to you before is the basis of the Elvis Presley movie, Jailhouse Rock. Well, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) But wouldn't it have been great if that's where Elvis got the impetus when the jailhouse rocked? Well, actually, we're in week number seven of our series, Mission Possible. We're taking a look at how the church, and we're not just talking about the church way out there, but we're also talking about this church, how it can change the world, and how we as individuals can also change whatever is around us. And we're going to look at, the church, at a story today that virtually all church people know is in the Bible, but many of them kind of pretend that it really isn't in the Bible, or at least they pretend sometimes that it doesn't teach what it actually teaches us. Is that confusing enough? So when we read the story, we tend to focus on the last part. The miracle that took place, this earthquake that shook the entire building, it broke Paul and Silas's chains, uh, the jailer suddenly being saved along with his entire household, and then God being glorified in a big way. Now, I gotta, I'll grant you, that's the best part of the story. That's the exciting part of the story. No question about it, but it's not the whole story. There is one verse in our text today that we need to take a close look at, and it is verse 23. Verse 23 says, after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. Or as you can see up there, after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now, since this sort of thing doesn't normally happen where we are, uh, we sometimes forget that there is opposition to the gospel in this world. We sometimes forget that suffering for the sake of the gospel or suffering for the sake of ministry actually happens. In fact, many people have kind of picked up the idea that uh, ministry should always be successful. Whatever you do in the name of the Lord is going to be blessed. And, and then they kind of view that any opposition or any conflict must be a sign that somehow God isn't with you. I mean, I've heard people actually say this to other people. They say this in a well-meaning fashion. They say, well, maybe the reason that you have so many problems in your life is because you're not in God's will. I mean, I've actually heard people tell other pastors that. You know, maybe the reason your ministry isn't doing so well is because you're not in God's will. You know, when I hear that, I think of poor Paul and Silas who faced tremendous opposition, and yet they were right smack dab in the center of doing God's will. And friends, I I want you to understand something today. God has not withdrawn his hand from your life. God has not withdrawn his hand from whatever ministry you may be involved with, but you might think he has if you buy into the idea that success or life or ministry should always be easy. I also know that there are some people who believe that God has withdrawn his hand 
and they view that every obstacle that they face in life is a sign that you ought to give it up and go do something else. But if I had a sub-theme to our message today, which is does do, you know, what good is doing good, I, I would probably, it would be this, doing good isn't always easy. And I hesitate to use the word good because it kind of gives the connotation of good works. And let's understand right at the beginning, I'm not talking about doing good works to please God. But, you know, God does call us to do good things. If you read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, for by grace are you saved through faith, etc. And it says, and he has created you for these good works in verse 10. And really what we're talking about is doing the right thing. Doing the right thing is not always easy. I don't know how many of you remember this music group, the Turtles. Remember the Turtles? They were kind of a, a bubblegum band of the 60s. Uh, songs like Happy Together, uh, Eleanor, uh, She'd Rather Be With Me. I think they actually entertained at the White House when Richard Nixon was president. Well, they toured England in 1967, and they were thrilled at an opportunity to meet their heroes, the Beatles. They were thrilled until John Lennon started talking. Lennon absolutely hated the turtles, and he let them know it. And in front of a large group of people, he mocked and insulted the turtles' lead guitar player, Jim Tucker. Tucker was absolutely devastated, and when they got back from England, Tucker quit the band and left music, the music business for good. I mean, that kind of criticism really hurts. Now, I'm looking at a bunch of musicians today, and I, you guys all know this, but everybody who aspires to play music eventually learns that the life of a musician is not always spent on the stage in front of a bunch of people who are really happy to see you and are clapping all the time. Sometimes you may even get booed, you know, even by people you like and people who like you. And no doubt it sometimes makes you wonder whether you really want to keep on doing this. I mean, I remember somebody being critical of an organist in our church who said, well, it sounded like you played with gloves on today. You know, that's enough to make you want to give up the organ, huh, Gwen? Well, in the same way, John, you would probably understand this as a writer. Uh, the public life of a writer is not always autographing copies of a bestseller of a book or a newspaper article as time goes by or whatever times are passed or times are remembered or whatever you used to write for the gazoo, uh, you know, and tell you how much what you wrote really changed their life. Sometimes you get bad reviews. Sometimes people say, you know, maybe you ought to give up writing altogether. And I don't know if this comes as news for it to you, but sometimes being a pastor is not always the greatest thing in the world. I mean, pastors are not always greeted with applause. They're not always greeted with appreciation. Uh, they aren't always greeted with scores of converts who just keep rolling in, you know, so fast that they can't keep enough water in the baptismal font. I mean, sometimes as a pastor, you're actually greeted with criticism or opposition or downright hostility. You know, it, it's enough to make some pastors quit and never try again. Now, I've also known a lot of churches in my life who develop a, a kind of an attitude that says, we'll do it as long as it's easy. Uh, we'll do it as long as it doesn't rock the boat too much. Uh, we'll do it as long as it doesn't take too much work. Or we'll do it as long as there's not too much opposition to this. Or we'll do this as long as there's not too much of a price to pay. 
I can't even begin to tell you how many voters meetings I've ever been to where somebody can rain on everybody's parade after we talk about a new project and what we want to do. Somebody always raises their hand and says, so how much is this going to cost us? And the rain comes down. Well, what happens when we are governed by that kind of stuff is that churches become little holy huddles. They become little country clubs where people gather on a Sunday morning uh, and they have a good time. They kind of love on each other for a while and they don't really have much impact outside the four walls of the building. Now, the Mission Possible Church is different. The Mission Possible Church does good. It does the right thing in their communities, in their families, in their schools or whatever, even if it costs them something even if it hurts them a little bit, even if it stretches them beyond their comfort zone a little bit. Now, we see that attitude in the early church, especially in this story that Matt read to you before. And we're, I just want to talk about three things that mission-possible people or mission-possible churches need to keep in mind as you're out doing what God has called you to do. If you remember last Sunday, uh, it, I ended up with this statement, you know, we're on a mission from God. I mean, we really are. We've, we've been called to go. Well, here's the first thing you ought to keep in mind, and that's that sometimes when you try to help people, I don't care how you're trying to help them, sometimes the tide of public opinion will turn against you. Now, Paul and Silas, along with Timothy and Luke, were in Philippi. They were doing good stuff. They were preaching the gospel, leading people to Jesus. They were making disciples. They were establishing a church there in Philippi. But there was this slave girl, this slave girl who had a knack for predicting the future. Now, a lot of commentators don't know whether that really meant that she was demon-possessed or whether she was mentally handicapped. Now, kind of an interesting side note is that in the first century... Uh, people who we would probably call insane or unbalanced were often held in high esteem. So any of you have ever been called unbalanced, good news for you. The common opinion was that the little g-gods, the little g-gods, had taken away their sanity in order to give them a deeper, more spiritual knowledge. So whatever was going on in this little girl's life, As a result, people would come to her and they would listen to her, hoping to discover some future insight, fortune-telling. And for this reason, her owners had figured out a way how to monetize that, to make money off of it. And and, and as Paul and his team were working, you notice it said she followed along, she followed, and she kept pestering and pestering and pestering. And, And finally, Paul had had enough. And in verse 20, what does it say? In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And immediately, it says she was healed. The Spirit left her. Sanity returned. And her owners suddenly, they just lost it. Why? Their source of income had blown up. I mean, you want to hurt somebody, all you do is talk about their money. I mean, even Luther says the last thing converted in a man is his wallet. So what they do, they grab Paul and Silas, they took them to the authorities, accused them of breaking Roman law. By the way, uh, Paul was Roman. This comes into the story a little bit later. But they still accuse him of breaking Roman law. 
And the crowd gets involved, and suddenly everybody's against Paul and Silas. Now, this is maybe something you kind of missed in the reading, or what I said before. They got mad at Paul and Silas. Why not at Timothy and Luke? Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Why mad at these two? Well, very simply, Timothy and Luke were Gentiles. Paul and Silas were Jews. It made them an easy target of what we might call today anti-Semitism here in Philippi. Paul and Silas had done nothing wrong. In fact, they'd done something pretty good. They restored sanity to some troubled young girl. And their reward was what? Being beaten and thrown into jail. Now, here's what we need to remember. You know, sometimes you do good and the crowd won't cheer. They'll jeer. They'll twist your words. They'll question your motives. They will misrepresent your actions in order to make themselves look good and to make you look bad. And, and when that kind of a hive mind kicks in, everything gets out of control. I'm going to take you back to an example around Easter of this year. Maybe you remember, you see this next picture, when Tim Tebow accepted an invitation to preach at First Baptist Church in Dallas around Easter time this year. Someone in the media decided that the pastor was a little bit too outspoken on some issues. And the one issue had to do with homosexuality. And, and, and of course, adding Tim Tebow's name to this article kind of made all of this front page news. One media uh, outlet wrote that Tebow and First Baptist of Dallas have set a special hate date. And then suddenly all the other media joined in, along with thousands of bloggers and tweeters and Facebookers, and, and there were accusations flying all over the place without any regard for anything fair or accurate until it finally, the whole thing just kind of spun out of control in just a matter of days. And Tim Tebow, if you remember, uh, ended up canceling his speaking engagement, and the, me- and the media, guess what, suddenly lost interest in First Baptist. Suddenly lost interest in that pastor but they didn't lose interest in Tim Tebow. The criticism started going back another direction. The criticism said, Tim Tebow's weak. Tim Tebow should never have caved in. I mean, if Tim Tebow was such a solid Christian, he should have never worried about it. I mean, Tim Tebow is only more interested in his football career than, than he is in preaching the gospel and saying what's right. And it went kind of on and on. It was just, it was just sickening, really, is what it was. Now, I got to tell you, regardless of, of your opinion of Tim Tebow's football skills, this guy, I think, is honestly just trying to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And guess what? He gets attacked from all sides. It's just not right. Now, should he have canceled that speaking engagement at Easter in Dallas? I don't know. Uh, it wasn't my call to make. In, in fact, Tim Tebow and I have an unwritten agreement. Uh, I don't second-guess his decisions, and he doesn't second-guess mine. Not that we're friends or anything. <laughs> I do follow him on Twitter. <laughs> now, here's my point. There are going to be times when you or we as a church can make a sincere effort to actually do something good to help other people who cross our path, and in so doing, we may face fierce opposition and sometimes just downright persecution. 
And those of you who experience this know that this, this hurts, it's discouraging, but it's never any reason to say, I quit. See, the truth is that if we are actually out there doing what God has called us to do, to bring Jesus to bear on the lives of other people, we are always at risk of being mocked. We're always open to being ridiculed or criticized. We are at risk of being accused of saying things we never said and believing things that we, we never believed. I mean, I, I certainly have had that happen to me. Oh, you're a Lutheran. You must hate, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I, one time somebody said, oh, you're Lutheran. You must really hate Catholics. Really? I hadn't even thought about it. <laughs> you know, but that was just a judgment. It's an unfair one. Uh, the truth is that sometimes we're going to run up against major roadblocks. Now, does that mean that God's telling us to quit? Well, absolutely not. Does it mean he's withdrawn his blessing on our life? Absolutely not. What it does mean is that you and I live in a fallen world. You and I live in an evil, wicked society filled with a whole bunch of sinners just like you and me. And sometimes when you walk this rugged road a bunch of, amongst a bunch of sinners, uh, life's pretty rugged and sometimes you get beat up. Sometimes doing what's right doesn't sit well with people. And sometimes you get hurt because of it. But we've got to keep on doing the right thing even if the crowd is jeering and not cheering. Now here's the second thing to remember. When things go wrong, the best thing to do is keep on singing you wonder why we sang that opening song? I mean, there it is. The best thing to do is keep on singing. It's the singing hymns. Now, Paul and Silas were mercilessly beaten. Uh, they were thrown into jail. They were put in stocks, chained. What, you know, you ever think about what their response could have been? They could have concluded that God was no longer with them. They could have concluded that maybe, oh man, God must be punishing us for some sin we committed or that God didn't really care what happened to us, or God, God's, God's asleep and forgot about us, or God doesn't remember who we are. Uh, they could have been bitter about the mistreatment. They, they could have been bitter towards God. They could have been bitter towards the Roman government. They could have been bitter towards the jailer. They could have been bitter towards that crowd. They could have said, wow, this is the thanks I get. This is what happens when you try to help people. Um, I mean, they could have turned against each other. Silas could have said, Paul, why don't you keep your big mouth shut? I mean, that little girl wasn't hurting anybody. I mean, they could have had a pity party or a bitter quitter party. That's kind of hard to say. Try saying that a whole bunch of times. A pity party or a bitter quitter party. But, of course, that's not what they did. Verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I preached on this one time down in Angola prison. I asked the guys, I said, I want you to tell me what. Let's say that you're all in your cells tonight and there's an earthquake across Angola prison and all the doors fly open, including the front gates. What would you do? Well, there's some guys who are saying, you know, feet don't fail me now. And they were like, I think Doc's setting us up for something here. And finally one guy raised his hand and he said, you know, I think the answer might not be what we'd like to do. <laughs> he said, we'd like to just run. He says, but maybe we should stay here as a living testimony. Whoa. And maybe sing a few hymns, huh? Go get the main prison gospel band together. 
You know, in 48 plus years of ministry, uh, not once have I ever gotten beat up. Uh, Not once have I ever gotten locked up, although a few times I remember thinking I might well have. Uh, I did, however, experience a few setbacks in ministry. Uh, There was some opposition to some things that I was trying to convince congregations to do. And I'll convince that my initial reaction in each of those times was not to suddenly say, where's my hymn book? (laughs) Where's Where's my praise and worship music? But, you know, then when you step back and you think about Paul and Silas, bloody and bruised, bound in chains, being publicly beaten in front of a hostile crowd, their demeanor was not one of failure or defeat or embarrassment. Their demeanor was of victory and joy and praise. And so, friends, I want to tell you, the opposition you face on behalf of Jesus is not evidence that God has abandoned you or abandoned any ministry you may be involved in. In fact, more than likely, it's evidence that you actually are going in the right direction. I mean, 2 Timothy 3.12, I think we have this a bit. Look at this passage. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, did you catch it? It says everyone. This is a passage I was talking about in Bible class this morning. It says that everyone who wants to live a life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Are you being persecuted? You know, if the answer is no, I don't think so, maybe you should back up the wagon a little bit, huh? Maybe you're not living a godly life in Jesus so that it would be noticeable. Oh, I'm an undercover Christian. No such thing. Oh, my faith is a private matter. No, it's not. Maybe we need to be a little bit more forthright, huh? Yeah, sometimes Timothy and Luke escape the punishment while Paul and Silas get it. It's not fair, uh, but people who are oppressing other people don't care whether it's fair. You know, again, I'm going to say we live in a fallen world. We can't escape it. We've got to deal with it head on. The best way to do that is not with shame and humiliation, but with joy and celebration. They were in prison and they were singing hymns of praise to God, and when they started singing, what happened? The ground began to tremble. The earthquake shook the jailhouse, breaking the prisoners' chains and setting them free. And I think it's a great example for us to follow. See, when the enemy knocks you down or locks you up, figuratively or literally, start singing. Start praising God. Now, see, the whole world expects you to uh, feel sorry for yourself. But you can let the world know there's no pity party here. I mean, the whole world would expect you sometimes just plain simple give up, pack up, go home. But you can let the world know, uh, I'm not a quitter. I mean, the world expects you sometimes to blame God for whatever's happening in your life. But you can let the world know that whether I win or lose, whether there's sunshine or rain or victory or pain, I'm going to bless the name of the Lord God above all others. I am going, you know, I'm going to do that forever and ever. See, at the first sign of trouble or opposition, instead of whining, instead of pouting, instead of blaming, instead of quitting, try singing. That'd be a new experience for some of you, wouldn't it? That's when the earth begins to move. That's when the ground begins to shake. I mean, you face opposition, but it's not the end of the story. You may have fallen down. Failure may look like it's in everything around you, but that's not where the story ends. 
I guess I could say, remember that it ain't over. You know, they always say, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. I always put it this way, it ain't over till the earth starts shaking. And maybe we need to jolly up a little bit and shake the earth a little bit. Here's the last thing to remember. Sometimes people who are against us will eventually be with us. I think that's the cool thing. For this reason, we need to be very careful not to burn bridges or close lines of communication with people who are outside the faith. You know, when the jailer saw the prisoner's chains had been broken, he prepared to kill himself because according to the Roman law, what? If a prisoner escapes, the jailer receives his punishment. He knew he was a dead man one way or the other. That's why he had a sword. He was ready to commit suicide. But verses 28 to 30, Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought him out and said, sirs, what should I do to be saved? I mean, just think about what happens here. If instead of singing hymns, Paul and Silas spent their time in jail screaming at the jailer for being a tool of the devil in a vast Roman conspiracy, I mean, if they had railed against the government or railed against the pagan culture or other religions, what do you think might have happened? Well, I can tell you two things that probably wouldn't have happened. There probably would not have been an earthquake that night because God does not move in response to rage. God moves in response to praise. And if Paul and Silas had spent their time in jail screaming and complaining, I seriously doubt whether the jailer would have ever said, oh, you guys are so dismal and so sour and so bitter, and, you know, I, I wonder how I can be like you. <laughs> he would have never said, how can I be saved? See, many times, what do we do? And let's be honest with ourselves as Christians. Many times we respond to hostility from this world by being hostile back. And when that happens, guess what? The world does not see us as loving and forgiving and merciful people. It sees us as being judgmental. It sees us as being vindictive. It sees us as being angry and, and whatever. You know, Jesus tells us something really great in Matthew 5, 44. He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. See, it shouldn't surprise you at all that non-Christians act like what? Non-Christians. Some, for some of you, that surprises you. They, you think that all non-Christians should act like Christians. They, they're not. They're not Christians. You understand that? Am I making myself plain here? Non-Christians act like non-Christians. Now, it shouldn't surprise us when they oppose us, if we're out doing God's will. But don't alienate people who've not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, even if they're hostile. I've been walking through Angola prison for over a dozen years. I have a lot of great and wonderful Christian inmate friends in that prison. But I know an awful lot of guys down there who could care less, who are not going to show up for one of my classes. They're not going to show up for a worship service at night. They're nasty people. But I'm still nice to them. I walk through and I say hi. I stop and talk to them. Find out what they're doing. I still invite them to come. I want to build a bridge because someday, sometime, it could be that somebody would say when I say, hey, you ever think about coming to worship tonight, main prison, I'm going to preach. The guy goes, 
sure, why not? <laughs> Maybe that would happen. See, a lot of people eventually will come around if they see Jesus in you, if they sense the presence of Jesus in you and what you say. See, we need to remember that our, our message and agenda is not really a political one. We're not really at war with the culture, even though the culture may be at war with us. Our goal is not necessarily to win political or legislative or cultural battles. Our goal is to, be, is to lead individuals into a life-changing connection with Jesus. And there are some people who just are not going to like us if we really operate as Christians out in this world. But someday they may end up loving us as much as we love them. That's why we need to treat them not like enemy, but treat them like future family. Now, I'm going to tell you something as I close this message. This is a whole lot easier to say this on a Sunday morning than it is to live it out on a Monday morning. I know that. It's easier to say it here than when you're actually out there. That's why you kind of need to settle something in your mind right now, and that's that when people are critical of you for taking a stand for Jesus, when people are critical of you or oppose you or persecute you because of who you are in Christ, respond with the love of Jesus, just as he taught us to do. And in so doing, we will discover many times in time many of our enemies will become some of our best friends. See, doing good in the world isn't, uh, in a world that isn't good is never easy. And doing the right thing in the name of Jesus is, doesn't come without a price. God's place is in this world to be a light, to be salt, uh, to show people what his love and what his grace and his mercy are all about. And the bottom line is sometimes it just plain simple hurts to do that with other people. But I want you to remember how this story ended. The jailer was saved. It says here with his entire household. We miss the meaning of this by not being able to read it in Greek. You know who all got saved? It was everybody who was under the authority of that jailer. That meant that all of the other people working in that prison under his authority, got saved that night. It's like the warden got saved and every officer got saved. And he went home and everybody in that guy's family, from his wife to his kids to his servants to everybody who worked there, I mean, it wasn't just one guy who got saved and, and his wife and a couple of little kids. Just think about what happened. Every time we see stuff like that happen, when we see lives changed, when we see futures redirected, it's worth every little bit of inconvenience that we would ever, ever endure. So, I mean, last week I ended up by saying, we're on a mission from God. Well, I'll say it again. We're still on a mission from God. What good is doing good is worth everything. And may God enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit to take a stand for Jesus to learn how to take those hard rights against the easy wrongs, to love people and to love them to Jesus. Let's pray. And in our, our prayers today...